here. A couple of announcements before we look at the passage today. Is that me? Thank you. Uh, small groups, last week if you were here, we small group Sunday. We uh, emphasize the importance of being in these life-giving relationships, relationships with people who love you and love God and you can be transparent and vulnerable with. If you were not here, you haven't made a decision on a small group, we've got all of that information out front. You can grab a, a flyer that has all of our open groups for this semester. If you need more information than is provided on that flyer, you can see Kim and she can help direct you to a group that may be a good fit. Uh, Bo wanted me to remind y'all, uh, about three or four weeks ago, we filled out these Doing Your Deal cards. He's trying to figure out kind of where everybody is. It's not a it's not a test. We're just trying to get some information. If you didn't fill one of those out, if you could do so online, that would be very helpful to Bo. You can go to our website and find that form. And uh, also on February 16th, Josh Turner will be here. He's um, a member at Riverstone, and he's been approved by our network to plant a church. He's our next church planter, and he's looking to plant in the next he doesn't know, maybe six to eight months in the Smyrna Vinings area. And so he's going to be here to preach on uh, February 16th. His, he and his wife, Sarah, will both be here. I'd encourage you all to be thinking about that and praying about that. If, if you live in the Smyrna Vinings area, that would be great. If you don't like me, it would be great. If you, want to, if you want to have a seat when you come in, any of those things. I would love 8 to 12-ish. If we could do at least that, that would be great. If we could send some folks to help him establish this church in Smyrna Vinings. If you're not going to be here uh, and you would like to connect with him, let me know and I can put y'all together. For some reason, you won't be here on the 16th. Okay, Genesis 3. So uh, we spent the first month looking at Genesis 1 and 2. It's this blueprint that God gives us. Here's what I want life to look like. We talked about this rhythm of work, rest, and relationship. We looked at the fact that God created everything and everything was good. Wonderful. Genesis 3 is the train wreck. That ruins, it, it ruins things. And then the rest of the Bible up to Revelation 21 is God trying to fix what happened in Genesis 3. And then Revelation 21 and 22, you see a lot of the same imagery, a lot of the same language that you see in Genesis 1 and 2. It's these bookends. This is how God started thing, train wreck, redemption, and then Genesis 21 and 22. Hey, I fixed it. Everything has been restored. So what we're going to look at today, we're not going to get through the whole thing. So we're just, we'll read about um, maybe about half, not even that much of Genesis 3, and we'll finish it up next week. I'm actually going to start back in chapter 2 just to give some context. So chapter 2, verse 9, And the Lord God made all the trees out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he's talking about the Garden of Eden here. Then verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Then down to chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. We'll stop there. 
So uh, some preliminary matters before we jump into the kind of the verse by verse look. Here's some questions that some people have that kind of keeps them from really engaging with what God is trying to say through this uh, verse. So why, why put a tree there? So the first thing you do when you have a baby is you baby-proof your house. How come he didn't baby-proof the garden? Why even put the tree there if, if only bad things could happen because of it? Was it? It wasn't there to tempt them. James 1 says God is not tempted by evil and he doesn't tempt anyone to evil. I think he put it there to test them. Testing and tempting are not the same thing. Tempting is temptation is always towards evil, it's towards sin, it's towards wickedness, it's towards unrighteousness. Temptation, you run away from. Flee, resist, get out of there. Nothing good comes from temptation. Testing is different. Even in James 1, it says your testing of your faith produces perseverance. In Genesis, I think it's 21, we'll get there in a year or so, when we're looking at Abraham, it says I, God tested Abraham. Here's this child, Isaac. You've been waiting 25 years for him. Now go sacrifice him. It's a test. Testing is towards righteousness. It's towards our growth. It's it's revelatory. It reveals the depth of our faith. It allows us and God to see what actually is going on in here. God does test and he will test. So to me, that's the purpose of this tree. God fundamentally is looking for relationship with Adam and Eve and with us relationship demands freedom. If you can't say no, your yes is meaningless. If you can't say yes, your no is meaningless. So he creates a genuine, he creates a situation where there's genuine choice. I said don't eat from that tree. So that requires ongoing trust, which is what he's looking for. Without faith or trust, it's impossible to please God. He's looking for ongoing trust from Adam and Eve. Will you trust me to not eat from that tree? I've given you everything else. Can you not eat from that one? Will you trust me? In that. So again, not temptation, but I think there is a test there of what's going on in Adam and Eve's heart. Um, Was the fall inevitable? Not in my theology. There are plenty of people who would say it is inevitable. They're wrong. It's not. They're they're not wrong. We just we disagree. I would say no, not at all. Again, God here, Adam and Eve, I desire this relationship with you. Relationship demands freedom. I want you to freely choose to love me and to trust me. And so here's an opportunity for you. Here's a test, if you like. Here's an opportunity for you to actually live that out. It's not inevitable that they would fail. We see this in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 where Jesus is tempted. We'll look at this in a little bit. The temptations, they they parallel each other. They run on parallel tracks. Jesus doesn't, doesn't, doesn't bite. He doesn't take the bait. It's not a foregone conclusion that Adam and Eve would. Their, their wills had not been compromised. Sin had not entered into the picture yet. They could have said, no, I'm not going to do that. But they didn't. Did God know they were going to fail or they were going to fall? Yes, absolutely. He did know, but for me, that doesn't mean he caused it. Foreknowledge, knowing something in advance, does not mean causation. Imperfect analogy, we all know the sun is going to come up tomorrow, and none of us causes the sun to come up tomorrow. Imperfect analogy, but you see the point there. What God knows in advance are the free choices that we're going to make. So God knows I'm about to pull a pen out of my pocket because he knows the choice I'm about to make to pull a pen out of my pocket. Him knowing it is not what caused me to put the pen, pull the pen out of my pocket. God, that's confusing. You can just take another sip of your coffee. We'll move on. Foreknowledge is not the same thing as causation. 
So God knew they were going to fall, but He didn't cause them to fall. He just saw the choice that Adam and Eve were going to make. So He knew that was going to happen. Well, why didn't He step in? Think that through. Why didn't He step in and save the day? You think about every bad choice you make. Just take the last week. If He steps in on every bad choice that every one of us makes, what, what, we're in jail. Like, we can't do anything. That just, to me, that shows the depth of his desire to have a relationship with us, that he's willing to roll the dice to create this environment where people are going to make terrible choices because sometimes they're going to make great ones. And sometimes they're going to choose him. Sometimes they're not, and the consequences are devastating, and sometimes they are, and the results are incredible. And so he creates this environment. He doesn't step in. He doesn't stop. We're not robots. Again, our our yes means nothing if we can't say no, and our no means nothing if we can't say yes. And so he doesn't step in and stop them because it's what Eve wanted, and it's what Adam wanted. We'll see next week he redeems the whole thing, but he allows them to go through with the choice that they made in their heart. He doesn't reach in and turn the switch for them. He doesn't burn the tree down before they can get to it. He allows them to follow through with their choice. He does the same thing for us. Whose fault was it? That's what we all want to know. This week, right? Was it the truck drivers? Was it Governor Deal? Was it Kasim Reed? Was it Hanosa? Was it Lindbeck? Like, who caused all of this gridlock? That's what we want to know. Whose fault was it? Both. It was both of their faults. There's enough to go around. The, the serpent, as you saw, addresses Eve. He said to the woman, but he uses a second person plural pronoun. He says, y'all. According to verse 7, Adam is near her. He says, did I miss that? What was funny? Oh, he would have, right? <laughs> well, you is... Anyway. So, verse 7, it says Adam was with her. So he's near. But God, we'll see this next week, what God says to Adam is because you listen to the woman. Paul says in 1 Timothy, he says, the woman was deceived, Eve was deceived, not the man. He said, but he says in Romans 5, sin entered the world through what? Through Adam, through this man. So there seems to be equal share of blame to go around. The command was given to Adam before Eve was even created. And yet God holds her responsible for that. So there's, there's enough blame to go around. Both of them are responsible. And the punishment for both of them, we'll see next week, is parallel. Both of them receive pain. It's the same word. Eve, pain in childbirth. Adam, pain in farming. Because that's their unique contribution to life. What Eve contributes as this woman is children and what Adam contributes is food and for both of them they're going to experience pain in that primary contribution the punishment is the same because the responsibility is as well Uh, real quick on the two trees what are they nobody knows Uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is only mentioned in Genesis 2 and 3 really trying to figure out what that is it's all speculative obviously it has something to do with being able to discern what good and what evil is it's a it's a it's a divine attribute We'll see next week, God says, because y'all have got this, because you've eaten this, you can be like us. So the, the tree is not evil. The fruit is not evil. It was the disobedience that was. It was actually eating from it. They didn't eat poison fruit. Is that Snow White where she eats the poison apple? That's not what this is. It's not a poisoned apple. The apple's good. God just said you can't eat it. And so it was that act of rebellion that was sinful. And so, again, we have these two trees. One we don't know a whole lot about. It, it conveys knowledge or wisdom, some discernment. 
in some ways. Many people think eventually that God was going to allow them to eat from that tree, just not yet. Test of faith there. Then you have the tree of life, which is mentioned, particularly in Revelation. There's that idea again, what we see in Genesis, we see again in Revelation, several times in Revelation 21 and 22. And what most people see that as, that was God's, that was the means or the vehicle by which Adam and Eve maintained their life. And so God chose to infuse life into this tree. And so when they ate from it, that's what kind of sustained them. And so when they're expelled from the garden, they, they're cut off from that source of life. And that's why they, they die. They still live for a really long time, but that's their cutoff from that tree, which was the source of life. So that's some of the, the background, some of the context, the foundation for what's going on. Let's start looking in verse 1. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. So the serpent is who? It's Satan taking the form of a snake. Revelation 20 says this, it says Satan, this dragon, this ancient serpent. There's a connection there. So this is Satan in the form of a snake. Like I, I don't know what kind. If you saw Passion of the Christ, it's like a python. I don't know if he's a rattlesnake or whatever he was. And he talks to Eve. Now, she doesn't seem shocked by that, so it makes me think it's not their first interaction. They've had some type of dialogue before. You would be shocked if a snake started talking to you. We would be shocked if you said a snake started talking to you. She's not. So there's been some prior interaction. For some of us, that's hard. Like I believe in a book where snakes talk. It's not, that's not your biggest hurdle when it comes to the Bible. You believe in a book where donkeys talk. You believe in a book where a guy lived for three days in the belly of a whale. You believe in a book where a guy takes a bath in a river and comes up and he's no longer leprous. There's all kinds of... The snake is not our issue, is what I'm saying. Just go with it. It's, the snake talked. And I don't know if it's a big snake or a small snake, but he talks and he's crafty. That word can be positive or negative. It can, it's translated shrewd sometimes in a positive sense. Like you use your wits and your cunning to do something good. You see that word a lot in Proverbs. But in our case, it's crafty, it's negative. And when it's used in the Bible in this negative sense, it always leads towards manipulation. This picture of this master manipulator. Super, he's wily, he's cunning, really subtle. And he's able to get people to do what he wants. Nothing to be afraid of, but we need to just keep in mind. So for us, is Satan going to appear to you in the form of a snake? No. Because guess what? You're not going to fall for that. It's not, going to, that. it's not crafty to you. It's silly. Is Satan going to appear to you with a pitchfork and a pointy tail and horns? Not unless you go to Marietta High School. He's not going to do that. <laughs> because you're not going to fall for that. That's not crafty. What does 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen say? He masquerades as what? An angel of light. Something. It's a thought. It's a feeling. It's an impression. Sometimes it's even through a person trustworthy. This sounds good. It's 90% true. We'll get into this more later, but just recognize healthy respect for him because he's a master at manipulating people, getting us to go where he wants us to go, not where we want to go or where God desires for us to go. So what does this temptation look like? The, the heart of every temptation is to create a mistrust or distrust between us and God. The foundation of our relationship with God is trust. That's faith. Again, without faith, 
It's impossible to please God. We're saved by grace through faith. Without faith, which is trust, without trust, we can't access anything in God. We're cut off. That's, that's the doorway. Trust is the doorway to accessing God and the things of God. And so if he can undermine that trust, what has he done? He's cut us off from God. That's what he wants. Like, not to be crass, but he doesn't care who, I won't say, he, he doesn't care about the behaviors that, that you're practicing, honestly. They're irrelevant to him. He doesn't care about your addictions. He doesn't care about your vocabulary. He doesn't care about your bedroom habits. He doesn't care whether you're stealing. He, he doesn't care about any. He doesn't care if you worry. He doesn't care if, none of that stuff matters to him. The only thing that he cares about is, do you trust God? And if the answer is no, then he wins. Because the foundation of our relationship with God is trust. If he can undermine that, then he's got you. It doesn't matter why. They're just means to an end. Here, eat this apple. He doesn't care. He just wants her to, to question God's character and to question God's motivation and to, for that trust foundation to begin to erode so that she'll act on her own. And he does the same thing for us. We get hung up on sins with the lowercase s. What are all of these behaviors that are, that are okay and not okay? Remember growing up, it's the how far is too far. Is holding hands a sin? Is hugging a sin? Is kissing a sin? He doesn't care. What he wants to know is, are you doing these things in a way that undermines your trust in God? Then it's a sin and he loves it. Because that's what he's trying to do is break relationship between us and God because he knows that's what God wants. He wants relationship with us. So the heart of temptation, keep in mind the heart to create distrust, mistrust, to undermine trust between us and the Lord. How does he do that? He begins indirectly. He questions, twists God's words. What does he say? God says you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What's the answer to that question? No! It's not even close to what he said. Not even in the ballpark. You go to Kroger today and you look at all the chips. Everybody buys chips on the Super Bowl. Fritos, Tostitos, Doritos, Lay's, Ruffles. Who thinks pretzels are chips? Hands? Nobody? Come on, raise your hand. We're settling a, a disagreement here. This quality marriage here as well. So, three people at nine raised their hand. So you have some people in your camp. Huh? They're stand-in. That's not what she said earlier when I went to the grocery store. So, you have all of these chips. And you say, God... Satan is whispering, God said you can't buy any of those. You can't have anything on that shelf. No, that's not. He said you can't have sour cream and onion. That's it. That's not a divinely inspired flavor. Who decided that that would be a good combination for a snack? You ever said, I wish something tasted more like sour cream? No. But let's put the... So, it's, it's as far away from what God intends as possible. A total twisting of His words. It's not... There's dozens or scores or hundreds of trees in the garden. You can, have, you can eat any one you want. And what Satan says is he said, wow, that's cruel. Why would God put you in a garden and say you can't eat anything? Why would he plant you in the middle of the, of the chip aisle on Super Bowl Sunday and say you can't buy any? It's just cruel. He's questioning. God. He's trying to kind of begin this erosion of trust. Well, can I, why would he do that? That's, that, doesn't seem, that seems mean. Why, why, why would he? Why would he do that? So you have this indirect 
questioning, and then directly he goes to God's character. God says, when you eat it, you'll die. Satan says, liar, you won't. That's bold. God said you'll die. Satan says, he's a liar, you're not going to die. And look what he says, because, that's for, because. God knows when you eat it, your eyes are going to be open, and you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. God's trying to keep something from you that's good for you. He's trying to press you down. He's restrictive. He's oppressive. He's so selfish. He's so arrogant. He can't handle anybody being like him. So he's not going to let you eat from that tree. Can you believe that? Why in the world would you want to be in a relationship with a God like that who's that petty, that self-centered, that he's trying to keep something good for you from you? That's what he says. Direct attack on God's character. Indirectly, he twists his words and just goes right at God's character. He's a liar and he's selfish, which implies, well, you can't trust him. Why in the world would you do what somebody like that says? And then Eve, what's her response? She does not do well. She does not do well. What's her response? We have that on the next one. What's she say? We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. That's right. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. Is that what he said? No. He put two trees in the middle of the garden. Tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They could eat from the tree of life. They couldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you must not touch it. Is that what he said? No. He said don't eat. You can hang a tire swing on it. You can climb it. You can do it. He just said don't eat. Or you will die. What she's done is she's bought into this lie of the enemy. He's got her. He's got her thinking. He's restrictive. And he's cruel. Why in the world would he put a tree in the middle of this garden and say, I can't eat it? It's not what he said. But she's, he's sold her. God's restri- Why wouldn't he let you touch that? Why wouldn't he let you? He's, he's overly restrictive. He was suppressing you. Yeah, he won't even let me touch that tree. It's not what he said. You can see already in her response. She's, she's, things are unraveling for her. And I think the foundation of it is she didn't know what God said. I don't know if it's on her or if it's on Adam. If the command was only given in 2, 16 and 17, she, wasn't, uh, she had not been formed yet. She's still responsible, so it's Adam's job to communicate to her. I don't know if he did a poor job or she did a poor job. I don't know, but she didn't know. She messed it up. It's not that long, and she messed it up. And then you see... When it comes down to he attacks God's character directly. He's a liar. This fruit is good. What does she do? She starts looking at it. Don't do that. And it's, it's good for food. That's physical. My stomach. And it's pleasing to the eye. That's my heart. That's emotional. And it's, it's desirable for gaining wisdom. That's my intellect and even my ego. I'm going to know something. And, the, and so she takes it. Again, The fruit is not poison. It was the choice to eat from it when God said no. That's what this sin is. When you're in the midst of of a temptation, the one place you can't look is at the object that you're being tempted with. By definition, if you're being tempted by it, guess what? You think it's attractive. No one's one's tempted by the ugly girl. Nobody is. Or the ugly man. It's the one who we think is pretty. Pretty. So if, you've are, if you're being tempted, then by definition, that thing is appealing to you, so stop looking at it. It's not going to help you. 
You need to shift your focus back to God whose character is being attacked in the moment. She didn't do that. She kept looking at the fruit. So it's just a matter of time before she falls. It's a matter of time before her will is compromised. Luckily for us, that's not the end of the story. If you look at Matthew chapter 4, you see a parallel. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil after being 40 days and 40 nights, after fasting, sorry. He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus says it's written, man will not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city. He had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said, it's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God, serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. It's the same pattern. This first temptation here, use your power to meet your own needs. That's what it was for Eve. Hey, this is good fruit. You're going to get something good from this. Knowing the difference between good and evil, that's a good thing. That's discernment. We want that. So here, God's not going to give it to you. Here's a, here's a workaround. Here's a way to get something on your own. It's, it's, that's pride. Pride is independence from God. You could actually put all sin under the category of independence from God. That's what it is. And that's what... Satan tempted Eve with, and is what he tempted Jesus with. Hey, you're hungry. It's been 40 days without food. You're the son of God. Why don't you make these rocks bread? Give yourself something to eat. It's not going to hurt anybody. You've got to eat, right? You're, you're a man. You haven't eaten for 40 days. This temptation to meet your needs on your own, to not trust God to do that. And then you see this second temptation. He twists Scripture, quotes it, pulls it out of context. Hey, you're the son of God. Why don't you... Jump off the top of this building. The Bible says God's not going to let you get hurt. Jesus, knowing the word, comes back and says, and the Bible also says not to test God, and so I'm not going to do it. He knows the word well enough to respond to the enemy. And then the last one, right at, his, right at God's character. Hey, listen, what kind of father sends their son on a suicide mission? Who does that? Let me offer you everything that your father is without the pain. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to be betrayed. You don't have to be beaten. You don't have to die. You get everything that he's promising you without the cross. Going right at his character because what kind of father would ever send their son on a mission like this? And what does Jesus say? Get away from me. I'm going to worship God. The Bible says worship God. And serve him only. He takes his focus off what the enemy is offering him. Off the object of temptation. And puts it back on God whose character is being attacked. As you're, when you face temptation, and you will this week. When you face it. Nothing to be scared of. Enemy has been defanged and declawed. But he is a master manipulator. Two things I think are incredibly helpful. Knowing the word and worship. If you can keep on, if you can hold on to both of those things. So one thing is, do you know the word well enough that you recognize when 
the enemy feeds you a line that's 85%, that's 90% true. He's not going to give you something that's completely false. You're too smart for that. It's going to be mostly true. Here's one. It's just my cross. If your cross is sin, that's a lie. That cross has already been carried. If your cross is suffering, then we can talk about it. I, I, I meet people, I talk to people who say, the cross that God has for me to carry, and it's a sinful pattern. It's a sinful way of thinking. Y'all remember, what's that Lord of the Rings? The second one, where the king, Theoden, he's all balled up, old. Is that the second one? He's old, he's sitting on that throne. He's got that guy with a worm tongue whispering in his ear. You're old, you've got nothing, everything, it's hopeless. There's no reason for you to fight. And then Gandalf, he's the wizard, comes in and bangs him on the head. Wake up. That's what the enemy does to us. He convinces us that things that aren't true are true. That things that, aren't, that, that are changeable aren't. Things that are temporary are permanent. If it's sin, it's not your cross. That's already been carried. So you don't have to lug it around anymore. If it's suffering, that's different. Do you know the word enough? I'm not asking you to be a Pharisee, to be a legalist. I'm not asking you to memorize all the rules. I mean, do you know what's? But do you know the God as revealed in the Word? Can you recognize when something's off, just a little bit? We need that. We need to know the Word enough because the way the enemy's going to get us is he's going to twist what God has said to us, and then worship when God's character is being attacked. You can't trust Him to provide for you can't come on you can't trust you can't stay within the confines of this relationship come on what father would want their son to be miserable you got to get out of this thing can you recognize ah, that's a frontal assault on his character and in that moment can you turn your heart to him and instead of looking at by definition the thing that's attractive to you or it would not be a temptation can you turn your eyes away from that and look at him and choose to worship him whose character is being attacked. God, I, and you don't have to sing a song. You can sing a song, but you don't have to sing a song. Worship is more than that. God, I trust you to provide for me. And I confess to you that this is looking awful tempting over here. To step outside of the designs that you have for me. Maybe to skim a little off the top. To cheat a little bit on my taxes. Whatever it is. But I'm choosing to say, you're my provider. And so I'm going I'm to trust you to do that. God, I'm miserable in this relationship. I want out. And I confess, it, the grass looks a whole lot greener on the other side. But I'm going to choose to, set, to worship you and to say, you, this is the way you've designed things. These are the fences. These are the parameters that you've put around relationship and I'm going to live within those that's worship say it out loud you'll feel like a cornball but say it out loud because you're not talking to yourself you're talking to this one who's tempting you and he needs to hear it don't just think it he needs to hear it he needs to hear you say I, no I'm no I'm not going in that direction as attractive as it may be I'm going to choose to worship him Again, it's nothing to be scared of, but it's something to be aware of. This is how I want us to close. I want you to close your eyes.
couple of ways I want you to think about this. One of the ways is to say, where are you not trusting? It's the root of, it's the heart of every temptation. Let me erode trust between God and his children. So are there places where you're not trusting? I would say those are places where you're being tempted. Maybe you've already grabbed the fruit, taken a bite, I don't know. God brings something to your mind, or if you just know flat out, hey, I'm not trusting him here. Just confess that in your heart to him. Simple. God, I confess that in this area of my life, name it. I'm not trusting you. I recognize. I'm trying to meet that need. I'm trying to get that done. I'm trying to make that happen on my own, independent of you, and that is pride. And I confess that to you. And I recognize, God, that you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And so I'm humbling myself before you now, asking for mercy and help in this area of my life. You may be someone who wrestles. You can't keep your hand out of the cookie jar. You say, I'm not going to think this, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to stress. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be afraid. Or maybe it's a behavior. I'm not going to do this or whatever that is. And you, you psych yourself up and you're going to change. And you fall and you fall and you fall and you fall. And you have in this vicious cycle. It's called habitual sin. And the enemy is saying, you're never, you're never going to get free of this. This is who you are. You're just a, you're, you're a high anxiety person. You're just a worrier. You're fearful. You're weak. You're an addict. That's all. That, those are lot. Those are not true. This is not your cross. It's sin that's been forgiven. It's debt that's been paid. It's chains that have been broken. Just walk out of the cell. The doors are already open. We talked last week. We confess to God for forgiveness. We confess to one another for healing. Make a decision in your heart. You're going to tell somebody before you walk out of the door today that area of struggle and you're going to invite them to pray with you it's not magic but it's powerful God I pray for any who are wrestling with those habitual thought patterns behavior patterns that are wrecking their life they know they're sinful and they can't get on top of it they want to be free they continue to get sucked back in. God, I pray that today would be the day for them. God, that you give them the courage to confess. God, that they would know that it's for freedom, that they've been set free, that those who the Son has set free are free indeed. 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul warns the Corinthians and says, I'm afraid that y'all are going to be deceived like Eve. 
that you're going to be led astray like her and that you're going to be, in your mind, you're going to be led astray from this sincere and true devotion that were yours. God, I pray for those of us who are being tempted by the enemy to put our focus anywhere other than you. God, show us his schemes. Say in 1 John that you came to destroy the works of the devil and we're asking you to expose his works in our minds. He's so crafty. Sometimes his voice sounds just like ours. Sometimes it sounds like yours. God, we don't want to be afraid, but we want to recognize these schemes, these plans, these traps that he's laying for us and for our family, for our friends. God, we pray that you would expose and destroy his works in our life, in the life of this church, in the broader life of our community. enemy roars like a lion and God speaks in a still small voice it's easy to hear a roar it's hard to hear a whisper sometimes God I pray that we would know your voice you say we would as your sheep that we would know your voice we would recognize the counterfeit no matter how loud or how persuasive we would recognize he's a lion with no claws and no teeth He can't hurt us because you've already defeated him. You said to him in the garden, Eve's offspring will crush her head. And you did that on the cross. You broke his power. And so we can live free. For any who this morning would say, I'm enslaved, I'm enchained. God, deliver them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with this. We're going to have ministry times, ministry teams here up in the corners. We'd love to pray with you about anything that's going on. You may say, I'm not coming. No, like you just gave the sin talk. If I come forward, people are going to think I'm a big, fat sinner. We're all big, fat sinners. So let's get that on the table. Come forward. Allow us, please, to pray with you. If you're wrestling in an area, if there's a struggle that you have, please allow us to stand with you again. There's nothing magic, but there is something powerful about having other people pray with you. So you guys can stand and worship and respond as you will, and Bo will dismiss us after this song.